On this month's Healing 101, I will be speaking with incredible male experts about various different mental health disorders and treatments to mark Men's Mental Health Month. In England, around one in eight men has a common mental health problem such as depression, anxiety, panic disorder or addiction. It's important that we look at what factors affect men's mental health and how we can help more men find help and support. So when they do decide to ask for more help or guidance, we want to ensure that they all have the information that they need and we hope that this mini-series might provide them with a wealth of information and some new research that might address some of their questions. On today's Healing 101, I am speaking to Dr. Mario Giurina, who received his PhD in psychiatry at King's College London and is a consultant psychiatrist at South London and the Maudsley Trust and the lead consultant for the Maudsley Advanced Treatment Clinic for Recurrent and Resistant Depression and Bipolar. Bipolar disorder is a common, complex and costly mental health disorder, which sits at the heart of the practice of clinical psychiatry. Effective treatments have all been discovered serendipitously, but with the huge advances in basic neuroscience, new treatments are now starting to be developed. I was keen to learn so much more about such a complex disorder, and Dr. Mario is the man with all the answers. I'd love you to start by telling us exactly what bipolar disorder is and what the symptoms of it are. That's a good, a good question, you know, because uh, bipolar disorder is not an easy diagnosis, even for specialists. Across so many years, psychiatrists usually uh, misdiagnose bipolar disorder. It's much easier to diagnose depression, unipolar depression, than bipolar. As the name is saying, it's an oscillation between depressive symptoms and the people become low, loss of interest in cognitive impairment, uh, fatigue low energy, and the opposite of this, that is increased energy, overactivity, elevated ex- extensive kind of energy, uh, lack of inhibitions. Uh, these patients with bipolarity usually have uh, impulsive behavior, could be for uh, compulsive shopping, could be for sexual, uh, hypersexual. Sometimes they put themselves in difficult situations uh, like uh, dextrative actions, uh, and also looking for sensation-seeking behaviors, you know, could have also uh, some thoughts of grandiosity, so they, they can think that they are the best in the world in, in some point, and they are really not. Some delusions can come from this situation, you know. In vegetative symptoms, usually people with uh, bipolar disorder that oscillate between depressive symptoms and these symptoms that I just described that are related to manic episode or hypomanic episode usually don't need to sleep too much when they are in this uh, euphoric phase, you know, that you call manic. They can only sleep just two or three hours, and then after that they, they will become ready to go with increased energy and overactivity. And there are two types of bipolar, if I understand correctly, because some people don't slip into the depressive side. Is that correct? Partially correct. Uh, in general, uh, point I agree with you. You can say that more recently you you described more than two types of bipolarity. The main bipolar disorder you can divide it into two types, but you have others. The two types that you are mentioned, the first one are related to what I just described uh, quickly about. Uh, oscillation between depressive episode and manic episode, quite severe, that used to be called 
a manic depressive disorder in the past, now you call bipolar disorder. You have what you call soft bipolar that is not so strong. So they use the Greek radical that you call hypomanic episode, hypo for less. So less manic, but a little bit euphoric with uh, less symptoms that I just described and also more often depressive episode. So this bipolar type 2 usually have, let's say, three or four depressive episodes. This is very difficult for a psychiatrist to do the diagnosis because they just have one or two hypomanic episodes in the middle of several depressive episodes. They are not so severe, but they are impacting their, in the quality of life of these patients as well. And uh, just to conclude, Pandora, you should say that uh, you have uh, what we call nowadays bipolar spectrum. You have more than two types. You have cyclothemic, that is quite lower, low severity, just oscillations in mood. And you can say, oh, this person is like uh, in the moon. The, the, the mood changes like according to the moon. It's not so severe, but you can oscillate it. You can have some patients that trigger from depressive episode to manic episode if they're using some drugs like cocaine, amphetamines for eating disorders, uh, or even someone to depressive can switch the mood from depressive episode to manic episode. So uh, when you have this new concept of bipolar spectrum, you go further than the two types that is described in the, in the guidelines and classifications like uh, the American Psychiatry Association, that is the DSM classification or the WHO classification, ICD-11 now. So uh, when I was a junior doctor 20 years ago or more, I usually say that you have just 1% of the general population with bipolar disorder. Nowadays, you can say that you have at least 5% of the general population because you discover all the subtypes of so, bipolar disorder that are part of this big spectrum of bipolarity. It's a very fascinating disorder because, as you say, once you open it up to diagnosing it on a spectrum and rates of it inevitably then increase, do you think that the increase is also due to lifestyle choices and the way people are living today? Or do you think it's something that is purely biological and environmental factors don't really play a part in it? That's a very good question because uh, we know that uh, all disorders are not only biological and not only uh, the environmental. So the nature and the neutral are quite combined. If you think about bipolar, it is a much more biological disorder than unipolar depression. So you can say that the uh, irritability between depressive patients is around 30 to 40%. And bipolar, usually, they have uh, parents or grandparents around 80 to 90%. And so it's, it's really more a genetic disorder. But of course, you still have a great impact of the environmental situations. You know, We know that uh, for bipolar, if the, the patients suffer any kind of stress, recent stress like economic problems, jobs, uh, difficulty in relationships, this is can impact in their lives and trigger a new episode. And you know also that early life stress, like any kind of abuse, neglect, maltreatment during childhood trauma or teenager trauma can also trigger some depressive episode. And so answering your question definitely is a combination between both uh, you know, genetic vulnerability and also environmental situation. But definitely it is a more biological disorder than when we call depression. It is an interesting one because, as you say, it's I think it's the manic phases that make it slightly more disposed to a 
being more biological say than just purely being a depression or something that's say like an eating disorder which can probably stay dormant in someone if the correct concoction of environmental factors aren't ignited as it were whereas it seems to me and the research I've done that with with bipolar disorder the environmental factors play less of a significant role in someone developing it. Well one of the good things that you should say that uh, the, the stigma against bipolar is dramatically decreasing you know because usually uh, used to be let's say in the 19th century part of the psychotic group you know and so they usually call part of uh, the psychotic, not so different from schizophrenic patients, psychotic patients that are really more severe than bipolar. I think a big, a big change in this decreasing the stigma was uh, one of the top researchers. She's a psychologist and a professor in the John Hopkins University in the US. Her name is Kate Jamison. And she used to be writing the most important papers and books in the 19th and even this century. And when I was studying Bipolar, doing my, my master field, I read her book and, uh, about bipolarity. And just some months after that, she wrote her bio autobiography and she stated that she is a bipolar patient. And so this is impacting the scientific community because, oh, how come she's an expert in the field and you respect her, her studies, but she also described her symptoms in a very important way. And since that, uh, she I had some uh, interview uh, programs in, in the cable TV in the U.S., uh, interviewing important people, politicians, uh, artists, singers, and this decreased dramatically their stigma against uh, bipolar. She wrote another important point that is related to what you just mentioned, Pandora, is related to the creativity. Bipolar patients are really more creative than standard people, you know, she wrote a book that uh, is called Touched by Fire, uh, that people that had, uh, are writers, singers, poets, with a very high level of creativity, and they are also uh, have this, this bipolarity. So uh, this is one of the points, you know, that people become euphoric, but become more creative. Artistic skills come to their, their possibility to express themselves and, and to touch people with their skills regarding this situation though. So bipolarity is, is fascinating uh, people. I really enjoy to work with them. That's the reason that I wrote a book about bipolar and uh, working in, in this field for the last uh, 25, 30 years. Yeah, I mean, some very prominent figures have suffered with bipolar disorder. And I mean, not all of them have come out with it, but you can tell that through lyrics of songs, poetry, and as you say, just creatives in general a lot of them have to go into that manic space all that depressive space in order to create it it brings out their best work it's just unfortunate that they're also grappling with quite a mega disorder at the same time indeed uh, this is one of the points you know that these people are so creative they describe so amazing experience and the history are fascinating but of course they are suffering this is a, is a disorder you can mainly call what you call in the past manic depressive illness is a illness that can impact in their behavior. Not only the, the patient, but the family members usually suffer a lot with this oscillation because everybody likes to, to have energy, to be uh, in, a, in a high mood, try to express themselves and being very productive. But, of course, uh, this is, comes to an end and sometimes they go down, become exactly the opposite. And this is more often. 
uh, we describe the, the, the manic and hypomanic symptoms, but most of the time, patients with bipolar uh, suffer from bipolar depression. And this is very similar to depression. In, as you know, depression is the most burdensome of all medical disorders, not only psychiatric disorders. You know, if you compare with uh, cardiovascular illness, cancer, uh, depressions impact much more uh, in the quality of life of these people. And bipolar, usually, when they, they need some medical doctor or psychologist, they come in a depressive episode, bipolar depressive episode. And so this is really uh, impacting in, in this situation. What I'd love to know is how long do the manic phases typically last if there is a typical time frame and how long can the depressive periods last and and how long do people tend to oscillate between the two? Because I, I mean, from talking to people who suffer with it, it seems that you can have several years of just peace and freedom from any kind of episode. And then suddenly you'll get a manic episode followed by a depression, followed by a manic episode and have five years of, of swinging between the two. And then you'll reach a plateau and be okay again. So is there what is there a typical time frame that you can say? Yeah, it varies between patients, you know, Pandora. That's very difficult to explain because, as I mentioned, you have a spectrum. And so if you think a standard bipolar type 1, you can say that uh, uh, the patient you have at least two weeks of depressive episode to be in the depressive phase and uh, you need to have at least one week in the manic phase to be considered a bipolar. But we can say that uh, this depressive episode can last for months and then you can have a manic episode according to this for weeks. And this is oscillation between the depressive phase and, and the manic phase. It varies according to people. If they have bipolar type 2, usually they have much more depressive episodes and just a few hypomanic episodes that usually last at least uh, a week or, or according to the classification, three to four days. In hypomanic phase. But this is usually takes longer, you know. The standard patients, let's say, is uh, a woman with 50 years old that uh, usually suffer from these bipolar disorders since the early 20s. So uh, it's, it's more than 20, 25 years that usually they oscillate their mood. You have some impact regarding hormones. That's the reason that uh, women in uh, a uh, postnatal depressive episode is quite often, you know, in bipolar patients. And so they have sometimes the first very severe bipolar depressive episode after a baby do uh, because dramatically the hormones decrease and this is impacting the mental health. In the menopause as well, you, you usually have these triggers for new episodes. But men usually have also bipolar disorder. And for bipolar, you can say that it's different from bipolar depression that usually have two women for one man. In bipolar, usually you have one-to-one. -one. So it's a democratic uh, disorder that can reach uh, poor, uh, very rich men or women, young people or elderly people in the menopause or in the fertile period. So there is not really quite clear exactly that. And the time, as you're asking, it varies. You know, have, you have a rapid cycling, for example. It's a more difficult patients to treat. Usually they have four different oscillations in a year. So this is usually what we call ra bipolar with rapid cycling. They change for depression to mania or hypomania at least four times during the uh, year. 
I have one patient that come to my mind when I talk about bipolar rapid cycling that uh, usually she uh, is quite uh, treatment resistant with different treatments, including medications and psychotherapy. And she usually stays well two or three months and then she goes down mailing the bipolar depressive episode. And then she usually have hypomanic period when she visits uh, her family or friends uh, and then she stays well for, let's say, two to three months and then she goes down again. So this oscillation, more than four times you call bipolar rapid cycling. But as you said, some, some patients stay a long period uh, without recovery. But you have some patients that recover well. This is important to say to give hope for patients, you know, with the right treatment and the right dose uh, combined with psychotherapy, uh, mainly CBT therapy, because these patients usually have comorbidity with anxiety, social anxiety, panic disorder, OCD, or substance and alcohol abuse are quite often comorbidity of these. So you can say that bipolar disorder is not a pure disorder. That's the reason that it's very difficult to diagnose for not specialists, you know. So uh, I, I would suggest that uh, if someone has a family member, if the bipolar disorder or bipolar depression, maybe can see a, a, a psychiatrist with experience with affected disorder and the disorder because for, for general colleagues, uh, usually it's not so easy in that case. It's not a pure disorder. Usually it's always two disorders, depression and, and hypomania or mania, as I described. And most of the time, you have anxiety, comorbidity, you have panic disorder, OCD. You can have alcohol and substance abuse together. And you have also personality disorder. This is another point that usually comes a discussion between psychiatrists and psychologists. Oh, this patient is emotional unstable personality disorder or is a bipolar? Could be both. Mm. In 35% of this case, uh, the bipolars are comorbidity with personality disorders as well. And I can imagine that diagnosis is quite a minefield because quite often if people, particularly if they have the hypo manic stages it's less easy to maybe label and to diagnose as being bipolar it probably quite often gets missed as being just a pure depression which inevitably makes the treatment very different this is from one side you know as a psychiatrist specializing in affected disorders most of the time i see this situation that uh, the, the patient come to us as a being diagnosed as a unipolar depression with anxiety or personality disorders but you have also a problem here in UK, you know, uh, that several patients uh, with bipolar disorder are diagnosing the opposite side, that is psychotic schizophrenia or more impacting psychotic disorders, you know, they, and they have been treated with drugs for schizophrenia for longer, and then actually they are oscillating their mood between depression and, and, and mania or hypomania. You can have also patients with bipolar with psychotic symptoms. They can hear voices, they can have delusions. Uh, if they're using drugs, this is more often, you know. But I should say that this situation is, is really impacting because if you have the right diagnosis for these patients, you can have a, a better prognosis. You can predict and plan well the treatment that you will not be a short treatment. No. It's a long-term treatment. And you can divide these at least in acute treatment when the patient starts with the first acute situation most of the time arguing, discussing, they had possibly some births. This is usually happening when the patient is a teenager, you know, 
uh, around 18, 19, young, young adults usually have their first bipolar episode. But most of the time, it lasts at least five to 10 years to have the right diagnosis. This is, is, is a problem because as early as we started, rather we be the prognosis of this patient. You know? So you can treat it the right, the, in the right way. Uh, if you were thinking the first episode around 2022, 20, if the patient is, uh, is a unipolar depressive, possibly some medications and some psychotherapy cannot help this patient and can also increase the symptoms. So, and uh, this is, 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 is a problem. This episode of Hurt to Healing is sponsored by our friends at The And Partnership. The And Partnership is a global communications business working with clients like Toyota, Mars, Coca-Cola and NatWest, as well as charities like the Princess Trust and RNIB. They believe that by bringing diverse talent together in partnership, they can transform the way that great brands are built. They call it the power of and. On the Hurt to Healing podcast, we know that having honest conversations about mental health can help us to see different points of view and to better understand ourselves. Just like the and partnership's belief in the power of and, we believe that by coming together to share our stories, we make ourselves and each other stronger. To find out more about the work the and partnership creates, visit theandpartnership.com. That's T H E A N D partnership.com and a massive thank you to the AM partnership for supporting my mission and showing what we can achieve when we come together so what typically what age does bipolar disorder tend to present in men and women is it the same age is it does it vary depending on the individual it varies but most of the cases i should say that the first uh, bipolar episode Usually it's before 25 years old, uh, usually around uh, late teenager uh, period, uh, 16, 17, 18, 20. This is uh, younger than unipolar depression. This is a good point. Yet, uh, usually uh, unipolar depression starts most of the time uh, after 25, around 30. But of course, you can have earlier uh, unipolar and you have later bipolar episodes. I can say that women possibly start a little bit earlier, you know. As I mentioned, the biological factors for bipolar is stronger. And I can say uh, in the first menstrual cycle, vulnerable women can possibly have the first episode. And if they combine these uh, with uh, irregular menstrual cycle, this can possibly trigger more often episodes. Of course, people that are using drugs, strong drugs like uh, alcohol, cocaine, uh, or other amphetamines to lose weight. This is possibly can trigger the bipolar episode. Yeah, but it varies uh, the situation according to the spectrum. But uh, you can say that this is a, is a disorder that can really impact uh, in mental health uh, according to their timelines. And uh, you can have some patients that just start the, the first Bipolar episode after 50s, 60s, you have elderly people that start late, you know, but most of the time it starts quite early. What's the earliest case of bipolar that you've ever treated? You have children, you know, uh, this is another point that the, the different diagnosis, as I mentioned, is an important issue. And so I have some patients, uh, children and teenagers that uh, have been misdiagnosed as HDAD. This is it's a kind of hyperactivity. Uh, attention deficit, but if you look, this patient possibly could have something in their development like uh, 
uh, attention deficit disorder or hyperactivity. But definitely, uh, since the, the early age, that they can already develop some uh, bipolar behavior. You know? And usually, these, these patients are more aggressive. They try to argue uh, with the parents, uh, with the teachers, with you know, the schools that have more conduct behavior disorder than most of the children or teenagers. So you have some cases that you, when you look back, because I'm not a, a child or adolescent psychiatrist, I'm an adult psychiatrist, but uh, looking to the history, you have some patients that start before 10 years old with bipolar behavior. I'm interested, you, you alluded to it earlier, but I mean, there's obviously a lot of comorbidity that goes on with bipolar. And what would you say is the most common comorbidity that you see in adults? Uh, definitely, I think the most uh, important one, I would say that is uh, uh, substance misuse, you know. Definitely, these patients usually try to abuse alcohol and drugs, and so it's really the most impacting one, you know. And so if you can possibly detect this situation about uh, uh, misuse of uh, alcohol and drugs, it can help, because this is trigger new episodes. You know that alcohol and drugs can put everyone up in one moment, but in the day after, you become down. So if the patients already have this trend for a holocaustal behavior, uh, the alcohol and drugs also you just make it impact in their behavior. The other comorbidity uh, is also uh, anxiety disorders. You know, if the patients are not really uh, relaxed uh, with their mood stable, uh, the anxiety uh, will not impact so much. But most of these patients also have a very prevalent comorbidity between bipolar depression, mania, and hypomania with uh, panic disorder. Possibly is one of the most common comorbidities, panic disorder. You know, with this situation, you, you can imagine a bipolar patient with this behavior since they are 20 or something, abusing of alcohol in some time, uh, using some drug, they, they become with a heart beating accelerating, uh, the breath is not so easy, so they could have a panic attack. This is really impacting you know, somebody that are in these kind of situations, acute situations. The other comorbidity, as I mentioned, is personality disorder that can impact on the personality as well, and so very difficult because you need to combine these. OCD is also very, very common. You know, patients with bipolar can also have the OCD symptoms uh, that the actor uh, Jack Nicholson described so well in a, uh, in a movie, As Good As It Is, uh, I think that's the name of the movie. As Good As It Gets, yeah. Yeah, As Good As It Gets, thank you. So uh, this comorbidity of OCD symptoms and bipolar is quite often, as you know, you know counting kind of uh, fear of contamination. This is different. You see, if you remember the movie, uh, Jack Nicholson have a, a kind of uh, mania of contamination or some behavior that he always thinking that you have a contamination or, or some kind of symmetric. And remember the dog that was walking with him in the sidewalks in this kind of situation usually happen in some patients. You know, you can have around 20 25% of the bipolar could have a comorbidity of OCD symptoms as well or OCD disorder. Well, that's very high. Yeah, it's quite, quite high. So, uh, yeah, I should say, when I was a junior doctor, Dondori, my, my professor used to say, Mario, the most important thing you should know about unipolar depression is that most of the time with comorbidity with anxiety disorders, including panic disorder, 
uh, social anxiety, OCD. Now you know that bipolar is higher than that. Comorbidity of unipolar uh, disorder and anxiety is around 60%, and uh, bipolar is 75%. Each four patients with bipolar 3 will have a comorbidity of anxiety disorders. So uh, that's the reason that uh, sometimes they come to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, oh, no, you just got anxiety, just got a panic disorder, or you got some sadness or depressive symptoms, but your main issue is panic disorder. And if you go deeply, you can investigate, and this is just the top of the iceberg. You have a bipolar disorder that is a more severe disorder that should be diagnosed as early as you can and be treated as early as you can. So treatment for bipolar, what does that typically involve? Yeah, this is a, a good point. You know, it's, it's a treatment that you can have at least three phases. You have the acute phase. So if someone is a manic episode, talkative, low energy, uh, doing all the things that I described before, this kind of grandiosity, uh, lack of inhibitions, impulsive behavior, they need to have an acute treatment, you know, to decrease this hyperactivity, agitation. And so uh, usually this takes around a month or even more than that uh, until 12 weeks, the acute treatment. So in acute treatment, I, I should say that medication, psychotherapy, changing uh, lifestyle to improve quality of life, a cortex should not use uh, amphetamine. Eating disorders, I didn't mention, is another important comorbidity. You know? This patient usually have some some eating disorder problems, bulimic or anorexic situations. And so this sometimes they're using amphetamines to lose weight, and, and this is, can possibly impact in the oscillation of their mean. Then the second phase of treatment is the continuation. Let's say the patient is not more uh, in a roller coaster oscillating from depression or, or hypermanic or manic episode, and then uh, using the right medication. The standard one, the classic one, is lithium. That is uh, the natural substance that can you know, really stable some most of the patients, you know, and with psychotherapy, changing the lifestyle, changing a lot of situations that can possibly stress and trigger new episodes. So the continuation phase, that's the second phase, is try to possibly treat also the comorbidities, you know, so the patient is not in acute situation. Let's try to treat the uh, psychotherapy approach about depressive episode or eating disorder or something that can, we can possibly put the patient in a vulnerable situation. And then uh, if you're ready to treat this situation, you have the maintenance treatment that will be, let's say, after the second year of diagnosis that you you try to keep the patient to prevent future episodes. I think this is the main idea that uh, is a treatment for a long period. Uh, it's not for life. You have some patient that you you rather uh, reach remission. This is important. You can have to say and give hope for some patients and family members that there are some patients that you can have this situation that they can reach recovery, you know, full function recovery or remission. But for that, you need to follow these at least three phases. You know. Uh, establish the diagnosis and try to treat them in an acute situation, try to prevent uh, future relapse, uh, treating comorbidities, and, and maintain the treatment until you uh, reach some kind of recovery. And when you say recovery, I mean, you alluded at, to the point earlier and said that recovery is possible for people with bipolar, whereas I think historically people think that oh, once I've been diagnosed with bipolar, that's a, a life sentence. Essentially, I'm, I'm bipolar and I've got it for life. So you can go into remission 
with the right treatment and the right medication. You, you can say that uh, remission, you can have at least three different phases. You can have the syndrome recovery. Syndrome recovery is someone that uh, uh, do not have more uh, symptoms, you know. They have some residual symptoms, but this is not fulfilling the criteria for bipolar, you know. Like, it's easy to explain for depression. Uh, oh, I'm feeling much better now. I'm not depressed anymore. I got my interest in most of the things. But, you know, uh, Dr. Mario Girena, I'm feeling uh, a little bit with, without concentration. And I'm reading a book I cannot read like I used to read. When I'm watching a video, uh, sometimes I need to stop the video to, uh, to see a part that I, I, I could not concentrate. And this is cognitive impairment. And so, usually, the cognition sometimes keeps some residual symptoms. And the other symptom that usually is, is very often in depression is sleep problem, you know. Uh, oh, I used to sleep really well, but seven, eight hours. Now I, I'm just sleeping six hours, broken sleep. So these two residual symptoms are quite often. So the patient got the syndrome in recovery, but got some residual symptoms, not completing remission. When you have a symptomatic recovery or symptomatic remission, the patient do not have symptoms anymore, like uh, other people without any kind of bipolar disorder or other mental disorders, normal. So you have these three phases, you know, a syndrome recovery, improve dramatically, normal life, but have some symptoms. Syndrome recovery, that you still have residual symptoms that can impact a little bit, but could not fulfill the, the bipolar criteria according to the main classifications that are the DSM, American Psychiatry, or the WHO, ICD. And then the third level, you can say that it's uh, the people with, without symptoms, you know. You can say, how often is that? This is a good question. Some studies say as early as you can do the diagnosis is better, but you can say that uh, uh, rates of symptomatic recovery, you can say it's around 50% in six months. So one in two patients in six months of treatment can recovery completely become normal. And in two years, uh, you can say around 70%, two in three patients will have a recovery. So you can say this is not bad. is better than most of the treatment. I believe that uh, if you have the right diagnosis, the right treatment, you have hope, you have light in the end of the treatment. Of course, you are doing research to improve the treatments. You are discovering new medications for that. And actually, you are in a new phase for treatment these patients with affected mood disorders. You know, uh, several new medications are coming, new techniques for psychotherapy, early diagnosis criteria can possibly establish not only the more severe, because as I said, in the 90s, uh, 1% of the general population is bipolar, just the more severe ones. Now, you know this is around 5%. So the other 4% that we included are possibly trying to do earlier and diagnose to treat them as early as we can. Does it require treatment in memorandum? I mean, do you go on forever treating it and having to manage it once you've been diagnosed with bipolar? Or when, as you say, if it goes into complete remission, can you just live a, a life which is free from treatment and medication? Of course, uh, this patient will not be free for using drugs or alcohol anymore. And you cannot use some... Uh, uh, behavior because you know there's two things that can be easy to, to tell to the general public is that uh, sleep deprivation can increase manic and hypomanic symptoms 
and sleep too much can increase depressive symptoms. So basic things of lifestyle can really help these patients, you know. Things that you used to say about behavior, you know, uh, is something that uh, usually our, our grandmom used to say is like uh, if you the patient can, can possibly sleep better, eat better, good diet, exercise, not smoking, not drinking. This will help them to have a healthy life. If they change, oh, no, I'm okay now. I can have five pints of beer Friday, Saturday, and Sunday again. I uh, start to smoke joint or uh, not sleeping more than three or four hours during the night. This will change their lives again uh, because they are sensitive to the situation, much more of the gender population. This is the one the point. You know. These people usually are more creative, like I mentioned before, uh, but they are more uh, sensitive to vegetative changes according to normal life. Some people can possibly cope or sleeping uh, two or three nights, uh, just two or three hours, uh, drinking more than normal two or three days uh, in a month, but these people cannot cope, you know. They, they need to have a, a very nice lifestyle to keep their quality of life. So otherwise, they're quite sensitive to relapse. And I guess, yeah, like any mental health issue, once the acute phase is over, it is a question of managing it for a lifetime. I mean, it never it never just disappears and you're never not vulnerable to developing it again because by having it in the first place, you've shown that you are susceptible to it. So it's something that's a seed has been planted and it's whether you keep refertilizing it, as it were, once once you've got the tools to manage it. Is that correct? Completely correct. I think uh, when the people usually say that some researchers that... Uh, Bipolar is like kind of metabolic disorder as well. And so let's think that if you are overage or even obese and then you lose the, the weight forever, you need to be taking care of your diet, your exercise, your quality of life, not to weight gain again, you know. Otherwise, this is you, you completely change, you know. You, you, you did a very nice uh, diet, uh, uh, change of physical activity, and then you lost, uh, let's say, three or four stones, uh, and then... Uh, you are okay for a while, but then suddenly you decided to change again, not doing physical activity, eating everything of high-calorie food, uh, do not have uh, a nice quality of lifestyle. Of course, this is you. We need you for your vulnerability to weight gain. You know? And so and you should keep in mind that bipolar patients have the vulnerability. As I said, uh, the irritability is around 80%. Uh, the genes come from around 80 to 90% of their ancestors, and this is possibly uh, is a very high vulnerability for them to keep in this situation, to not re relapse, to keep going well. Definitely, they need to keep their lifestyle. Psychotherapy will help them to keep this situation without uh, expose themselves to, to a trigger. And this, this is important. Let's say uh, some patients say to me, Myra, I'm not going to a party anymore because when I, I am in a party, I try to be the center of our attention. I, I am the one that is telling jokes, uh, sometimes doing things that uh, uh, the people tell me that I was really uh, ashamed to do. So I think uh, try to balance between go to a party, enjoying the situation, connecting with people, not drinking too much, not be the center of, of the situation. This is it's something that is, is a learning process for people that are recovering for, for bipolarity, you know. So uh, definitely they can recover, but uh, they should be aware about the situation that any stressful event 
can possibly trigger them for lower and high. And most of the time, the, the, this patient comes to us, they are not in the manic episode, but they are in the repressive phase. And uh, this is more difficult sometimes because they cannot use the usual antidepressant. And most of the time, the, the usual psychotherapy for depression doesn't work. You need to combine all the treatment approach to put them up, but not to put too up to, to switch to, to manic episode. So uh, complex, fascinating disorder, but m- much more than the disorder, Pandora. You know, the painter uh, Van Gogh has a diagnosis of bipolar, and he wrote more than 700 letters to his brother, Theo, and he painted a lot, you know, had so many uh, original Van Goghs, uh, because he used to do a lot of the situations that are quite productive, you know, when they are in the hypomanic and manic phase, you know. And so um, this is amazing. Mario, I could go on and talk to you for hours and hours, but I'm conscious of time and I know that you have to go. So um, it's been an, a really eye-opening episode. And I think a lot of people will find this incredibly helpful. And I certainly have. And thank you for all the incredible work that you're doing. And I really look forward to further conversations in the future. Thank you for this opportunity, Pandora. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healing 101. Just a reminder that if you're struggling or in need of someone to talk to, please remember to text SHOUT to 85258.